Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, Pastor Chris, and we're in third week of our message series entitled Prayer Changes Things, and hope you've been enjoying it. Um, I will just say this, next weekend will be our conclusion of this series, and if you only listen to one message this entire year, listen to next week, okay? So you can just stop right now if you want to, just come back next week. But now hopefully you'll you'll stick around with us um, as we continue in our third week in this series, because... What we've been talking about is this, that we want this year to be a product of our prayers, not a product of our own willpower, self-determination. And so that being said, just by way of review, let me tell you a couple of things. The first week, you may recall, we talked about Jabez. And we said this, that ordinary people plus extraordinary requests equal supernatural results. And I, I challenged you to, to pray and to, and to pray big and to pray bold because then last week we followed that up by saying that bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. So here's the question. You know, what if you're an ordinary person praying, making extraordinary requests, you're not seeing supernatural results? What if you're a person who you've been praying these bold prayers and things just haven't been working out? Well, I want to share with you today what I call some prayer blockers. Uh, there are just some things that as you look through the Scripture, and so we're going to kind of be in a lot of different passages today, and basically, there are some things that prevent our prayers from being answered. You know, maybe one of the reasons you're frustrated, maybe one of the reasons you feel like your prayers kind of hit the ceiling and fall back down is because maybe you've got one of these things that is blocking you. You know, it's amazing how you can just shut things down uh, with a little bit of effort. You know, it takes a little bit of a clog and a fuel filter in a car uh, to shut an entire car down. You know, it takes a, a little... Uh, a, a little transformer being flipped to shut down an entire uh, electric, electric circuit, shuts down a power grid, shuts down a city. It just takes a little something to block the effectiveness of the energy, of the power that the potential that it has. And I say that to you because I want to just get, got one point for you today, and it's simply this, stop the block. In fact, just say it with me, stop the block. Because there's got to be something in our lives that if we're praying, and we're praying the way we've been talking about the last two weeks, that's keeping this from happening with us. So I've got seven things. And if you're ready, say ready. Ready? Here's the very first one. You see, we've got to stop the block. What is it that's keeping my prayers from being answered? And one of the very first ones could be this, a lack of faith. You know, Jesus tells uh, he in Matthew 17, he's confronted with a, a kid who basically, a man who has, has been demon-possessed, and he casts out the demon, and his disciples were not able to do that. His disciples say, how come we weren't able to cast out this demon? And he says to them, this, he, says, he said to them, because you, of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a, mustard, a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You know, it is amazing, is it not, that his disciples, here are these men who walked right in proximity of him, but yet they were unable to do the simple thing. Why? Because they just didn't have faith. You know, I've, I've described faith in the past as this. Faith is, is basically saying this, if God doesn't come through, I'm going to fall through. You know, it's, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
And when we pray, it's essential that we believe that God can really do these things. You know, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, if, if you're listening to this, you know, and if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then here's what you essentially believe. You believe that, that Jesus is going to take you to heaven one day, that He's forgiven your sins, past, present, and future, and that because of His death, burial, and resurrection, His substitutionary atonement, what that's called, that you now have life in Him both here and hereafter. And, and here's, here's the thing about it. If, if Jesus is able to do that, then why can't Jesus then take care of these smaller things in our lives? If he can take care of our eternity, then surely he can take care of our mortgage or he can take care of our car payment or he can help us and in, in with our children or whatever it may be. But, you know, many times I hear people say this. They say, well, you know, I guess all we can do now is pray about it. Well, you know, here's the thing about it. Prayer should not be a last resort. It should be our first response. It's not the last thing we do. It should be absolutely be the first thing we do. You know, I heard this great uh, story one time about a, a man who owned a bar, and it was right by a church. This church obviously had some problems with some of the activities that were going on in this bar. So for years and years, they would pray against this bar, pray that this bar would be shut down, and, um, you know, they'd go out of business. Well, one day they did, and the bar owner decided he was going to sue the church. And so... The, the, they get to the court, and the judge says to the bar owner, why, why are you here? He says, well, I'm here because that church prayed me out of business. They've been trying to pray me out of business forever. And the pastor, the judge looked at the pastor, and he said, well, pastor, what do you say to that? And he says, well, I don't know what to think about that. And the judge says, well, here we have a bar owner who believes in prayer and a pastor who does not. You know, it's true so many times that we talk about prayer, and we think, oh, but do we really believe God can do these things? Unless we, he believes he can do these things, he's not going to answer our prayers. The book of James chapter 1 says it like this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he'll receive anything for the Lord, He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, uh, I, I would simply give us one bit of a warning, though. It's not that we can just name it and claim it. You know, we'll talk about that more in our message. But the reality is this. When we pray, we have to believe that God can do this. And maybe one of the reasons your prayer is not being answered is because we don't really believe that God can do what we are asking Him to do. You see, we got to stop the block. Got to stop the block. Sometimes it's lack of faith. Sometimes it's unconfessed sin. Um, Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Do you hear that? If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. In other words, if I was more satisfied with sin than I was with Him, then He's not going to answer. You know, the reality is this. We've lost this in the church today. Uh, in fact, so many th things in our culture now, uh, we're not even allowed to call sin sin anymore. We we can't we can't call out different forms of immorality, you know, without you know, quote unquote, the wokeness of culture um, coming down upon us. And yet, don't you understand something that God doesn't tolerate? He doesn't negotiate, and He doesn't manage sin. God er er eradicates sin, and the truth of the matter is this: unless you and I deal with the sin in our lives, God's not going to answer to us. You know, you can't do a bad thing a good way. 
Case in point, you can't say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, and we're just going to live together. We're not going to get married. And we're just pretend like we're, you know, we're going to function like we're married, but we're not going to really be married. I'm just going to tell you something. God can't bless that relationship. You know, you can't be a drug dealer to the glory of God. You know, you can't be a bank robber who says, hey, I'm going to go rob. I'm going to make sure I tithe. You know, I mean, it doesn't work that way. You can't do a bad thing in a good way. You know, 2 Timothy 2.21 says it like this. Therefore, anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You know, the bottom line is this. God does not use dirty vessels. You know, one of the things I've, I've noticed post-COVID is obviously restaurants and places are having a hard time finding people uh, to staff. And on a couple of occasions now, I've been out, and I don't know if this happened to you, but as I've been out, like I've, I've gotten my silverware or I've gotten my cup. And I remember one night I, I was in a restaurant and I had this glass. It was, it was just a water glass. And I mean, it was clear it had not been cleaned. And there was just stuff all around the rim of this glass. And even as I'm sitting there, there's like little speckles of something floating in my water. And I just thought, ugh. I mean, it just, it just made me repulsed to think, like they handed me this glass for me to drink this, and it was just nasty. We understand, like, I, I want to I drink from a clean cup. I want to use a clean plate. I want clean silverware, don't you? And, and likewise, don't you realize that God uses clean vessels? Here's the thing about it. We're never going to be perfect, but we're going to be growing in perfection. And maybe the reason we're not having our prayers answered is because there's that sin. Maybe it's that secret thing. Maybe it's that thing that you feel like, eh, you know, it's just a little bit. God doesn't tolerate a little bit. He says, hey, I want you to be cleaned up and confessed up. And then guess what? He'll, he'll fill you up and he'll bless you. Um, here's the third thing. You know, we got to stop the block. In fact, say it with me. Stop the block. Sometimes it's a lack of faith. Sometimes it's confess sin. Sometimes it's a broken relationship. And I would say, particularly within our homes, you got to realize that horizontal relationships with one another affect our vertical relationship with God. You know, I just ask this question. Is anybody married? Anybody married? Well, if you're married, listen to this, particularly to you husbands. The Bible says this. First Peter uh, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. You know, that weaker vessel there doesn't mean uh, just because maybe women are traditionally and usually weaker physically. It's actually saying, you know, women, women have tensile strength like China. You know, China can handle a lot of weight on it, but it chips easy. And and so he says this. It's not. It's not a. It's not a talking about that. There's a. You're, you're, there's an equality, or they're not good as. It's just saying that that their, their strength is different. It says showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life. And listen to this, so that your prayers not be may not be hindered. You know, husbands. One of the reasons your prayers may be hindered is because you're not showing honor to your wife. You know, as a, as a pastor, I'll just say this down through the years. Um, I know this, and, and my wife Amy knows this, that every Saturday night, uh, it used to be Saturday nights, now it's Saturday afternoons before I go preach, I'm basically going to always have this conversation that says, are we clear? Like, are we good? And uh, sometimes it's like, yeah, yeah, we're good. And then sometimes it's like, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, I got a couple things, you know, because here's what I realize, right, as a husband. I realize 
that if I am in, in discord with my spouse, then it doesn't matter what I do here because my horizontal relationships affect this vertical relationship. I'd also say this if you're a kid. You know, the Bible says this in Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. I'll just tell you this, if you're a kid, you're listening to this, you live at home, you're under the authority of your parents, you can't be good with God and, and not good with your parents. Like these relationships matter. You got to get some of this stuff straight in your homes. I'd also say this to you. It's not just in our homes, but it's also outside our homes. You know, in the book of Romans, it says this, Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those who exist have been instituted from God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. So let me just tell you this. God works through authority. He works through good and bad authority. Works through the authorities at your work. Works through the authorities at your school. Works through the authorities in the government. And these, these relationships we have horizontally, right, impact our prayers vertically. And so the question you have to ask yourself is this, is do I have a relationship issue? Do I have an authority problem? Do I have a, a malfunction, you know, inside my home, outside my home? So there's a fourth thing. We got to stop the block. In fact, just say it with me. We got to stop the block. And sometimes it's simply this. It's a matter of timing. It's the wrong time. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says it just like this, so clear. For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. You know, um, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers when we want to uh, because it's just not the right time. You know, a number of years ago, you know, my, my son, when he was younger, um, he was 13 or so, you know, if he had said to me, hey, Dad, can I have the keys of the car? I just want to take it for a spin. I would have said, absolutely not. Why? Because he's 13. He didn't have a driver's license. But when he turned 16 and he said, hey, Dad, can I have the keys? I want to take the car for a spin. Well, guess what? Boom. I'd throw him the keys. Why? It was the appropriate time. You know, I know in my own personal life, um, even in finding my way into this pastorate that I'm in today, uh, it, wasn't, it, it didn't come necessarily in the timing I wanted. I remember for a number of years, you know, I'd, I'd really clung to a verse in, in that, that Paul had given Timothy that said, if anyone uh, purposes to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. And I always felt like, okay, I want to be an overseer. I want to be a pastor. This is a noble task. God doesn't put that desire in everybody. And there were some years where I tried and tried and tried to make it happen. And I did. I sent out resumes. I, I, I was constantly in all these search boards where they would post jobs. And man, I was sending stuff everywhere. And I'll never forget, I mean, I, I had this impressive stack of rejection letters. And I kept them for a lot of years. I just kept them. And uh, I just remember going back to that and just feeling so defeated about, man, why is this not happening? Like, God, you know, you, you, I, I want to do this noble thing. It's not like I'm asking to, you know, uh, you know, do something really selfish. I want to go serve the local church. I want to preach to Jesus. I mean, I want to reach the world for your, for your glory and your name. And like, where are you on this? And I had a friend who told me, he said, hey, until you get comfortable and, and you just realize that God has put you where you are and when he wants to move you somewhere else, he will, he goes, you're going to constantly be, be anxious. You're going to constantly be frustrated. 
So I just got really, really comfortable. And you know what? It wasn't, but man, probably three months after that, when I really got comfortable and I really got okay with God, we're going to do it in your timing. Then you know what? He opened a door for me. And so sometimes it's this, you have to just recognize it's just not the right time. It's not no, it's just later. You know, there, there's a fifth one, you know, because we got to stop the block. Say it with, we got to stop the block. So sometimes it's lack of faith, sometimes it's unconfessed sin. Could be a broken relationship, could be the wrong time. But I'll just say this, sometimes it's a selfish motive. Sometimes it's, a, it's truly just a selfish motive. You know, the book of James uh, chapter 4, verse 3 says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You know, motives matter. It's, it's, not, not just, it's not just what we ask, but it's why we ask it. Motives, they, they do matter. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to want to wanna prosper and do well. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but you got to ask yourself the question, why? I've heard people say, well, you know, if I could just make more, then I would give more. You know, I, I would, if, if I just was, was able, I would just so love to, to do the right thing. I'd love to, to give my tithe to the church. I'd love to bless people. But here's the thing about it. If you, if you aren't doing that with what you've already been entrusted with, then why would God give you more uh, to squander? You know, so sometimes it is simply the, the, the motive by which we do that. You know, I, uh, I grew up in a family where uh, everybody always played the lottery, right? I mean, always played the lottery. And uh, I, have, I, I, love, I love my family. A lot of them have passed away and gone to be with the Lord. But, I mean, they, they religiously, it's the one thing religiously they did. They would always go and they would get their numbers and they would, you know, um, every week. And some of them always played the same numbers. And then they would also play scratchers. You know, they always get their scratchers. And uh, so I was probably one of the only kids growing up knew what scratchers really were. And I'll never forget, though, um, they would always say, you know, well, I just prayed. You know, and, and even as a pastor, I had this one family member who said, I just prayed that if, if, if I get the right numbers, you know, I'm just going to give a big chunk of that to the church you're at and all this kind of stuff. And here's the thing. Maybe they would have. But... Why would God honor a prayer like that when the motivation really and truly isn't so much about His kingdom, His glory, and it's truly more about, you know, me winning the lottery, right? It's about motives. Here's another, here's another one, and it's this. It's unforgiveness. It's unforgiveness. You know, um, I've always found it amazing that one of the things that the disciples asked Jesus to do was to teach them to pray. And, you know, Jesus would go away early in the mornings. He would, he would pray. They would interrupt him every now and then. And they said to him, Master, teach us to pray. And um, so he does. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And you probably know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, you know, it's our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debt against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, it's the model prayer as we've been taught. 
But then right behind that, because you know Jesus wanted these disciples to understand how, how to pray, so he gives them that little prayer. But then right behind that, here's what he says to them. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Did you hear that? Basically what he's saying is this, is hey, you're asking for forgiveness. You're asking for, you know, you me to, to cleanse you, but yet you're holding a grudge against somebody else. One of the biggest reasons our prayers are not answered is because we hold unforgiveness in our hearts. We have this bitterness toward people. You know, the, the reality is this. Here's how you know that this is you. It's because you feel like you have the ability to say whatever you want to about somebody without any kind of fear of retaliation. You feel like you're justified in saying this. And, and the reality is this, you're not. You're not, I'm not. You know, there's some people who are going to need you to be the villain in their story um, because it's the only way their life works. I've, I've just come to realize this. There's some people that because they can't deal with their own stuff, they're going to always have to project onto other people. And the Bible says, you know, as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So we should. But there are some legitimate reasons why if you've tried to do that, right, then, then that's one thing. But there's many people who the reason their prayers are ineffective today is because, quite honestly, they're harboring unforgiveness in their hearts. And even as I'm speaking this, you know exactly who you're thinking about in your mind. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 4.20, it says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother and sister is a liar. Do you hear that? I mean, that's a big deal when God calls you a liar. Like one of the validities of our faith is the fact that we are able to love people, unlovable people. You know, we were unlovable people who God chose to love. And yet, if you harbor this, then then don't you realize there's no way that your prayers are going to be effective. And so you got to ask yourself this question. Who am I harboring this kind of resentment toward? You know, in the book of Mark chapter 11, it says this, if you're at the altar, like this is how serious God takes this about our prayers and about how it impacts our worship and our relationship with Him. He says, if you're at the altar and you remember that your brother has a grievance against you, you should leave your gift at the altar and you should go to your brother and make peace. You see, like he, he says this, if it, before you ever deal with me in this, before you ever, ever um, believe that I'm going to take this gift from you, you've got to go deal with some of these other people these other issues you have going on in your life. And, you know, I think this is probably one of the biggest reasons people have uh, ineffective prayer lives because there's that somebody in your past, there's somebody in your present, there's that somebody that you just, you, you so have this anger, this animosity toward, and you believe that you're totally justified in it. And the truth of the matter is this, Jesus, as he taught us the model prayer, so that if we want to experience forgiveness, then guess what? 
we have to extend it. So we got to stop the block. Notice this last one, and it's this, an unexplained purpose. Why are our prayers not working? It's an unexplained purpose. You know, what do you mean by that? The Apostle Paul had this issue in his life. In fact, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 12. So, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. You know, here's what we understand. I mean, here's Paul. So Paul gave us a third of the New Testament. Here's the Apostle Paul who, uh, in his ministry, he prayed for the healing of many other people. And yet, for whatever reason, God did not heal him. And, you know, why was that? It says, well, he says it was to keep him from becoming um, conceited. You know, I just got to tell you, I have this friend and um, he... Uh, He's in a different faith tradition than the one that I'm a part of, but I love this brother. And I'm telling you, he's one of these guys that if I ever got cancer or I ever had something traumatic in my life, I'm calling this guy because I know this guy totally believes in prayer and he prays and and he he prays for healing for people. In fact, he he really believes that, you know, he's through his prayers many times, he has restored people's lives. And yet um, he had a bad hip a number of years ago and uh, he had to go get it replaced. And uh, he kind of still to this day kind of walks a little bit with a limp. And I always tease him. I say, you're the world's worst faith healer I've ever known. You know that, man? Because you're the only faith healer I know that has a limp. And uh, I always tease him a little bit about that. But here's the thing about it. Uh, I have no doubt that my friend, you know, through his prayers, he's seen God restore people's physical bodies. But he didn't do it in Paul's case. And I don't think he did it in my friend's case. Why? Because for whatever reason... God wanted Paul, God may want my friend to be dependent upon him in this new, in this special way. You know, Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, many people think he had problems with his vision. And so a lot of times when he would write, he would he he would write and, and his writing was kind of big. And probably, you know, Timothy and some of these others around him, Titus, some of these others, they would actually transcribe some of the things he actually said or wrote because that was his his crutch. And it made him dependent upon God. You know, sometimes God's not going to remove the thorn. Why? Because it's going to keep you dependent upon him. You know, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 say this, but this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. You know, what does that mean? It means this, that the, one of the biggest ways you can see your prayers answered is to pray according to His will. And, and that's a hard thing. Because I don't know about you, I have definitive opinions about things. There's certain things I want. But whenever my, my desires line up with His desires, guess what happens? I get to see effectiveness in my prayers. And so, you know, the, the question is this. Are we willing to empty ourselves out of ourselves to experience more of Him? You know, I've referred to this verse a couple of weeks back. But when I pray, uh, I think there's some things you and I should keep in mind as we close. You know, that old text back in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're about to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And it says that, you know, they're going to be thrown in there because they won't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they say this to King Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be, be it known to you, O king, 
that we are not to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You know, they believe that God can, there's three things these men believe when they pray to God. The first is this, they believe God can. They believe God can. They believe that God will deliver them from the fiery furnace. And, and they believe this, you know, write this down. They believe God will. They believe that God will deliver them from the fiery furnace. But notice this third thing. But if not, they're still going to believe. Because they say, but if not, may it be known to you, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. If not, they were still going to believe. If not, I'm still going to believe that prayer changes things. But you know, friend, as we close, I want you to ask yourself some real hard questions. What is the effectiveness of your prayer life? Is there one of these things that is blocking your prayers? You see, you got to stop the block. Could it be a lack of faith? You just don't really believe God could can do that. Could it be unconfessed sin? Is this thing that you're that's more satisfying to you than Jesus? Is there a broken relationship maybe in your home? You know, could be, um, you know, with your with your kid, could be with your spouse, could be a problem with authority. Is it the wrong time? Is it just the wrong time? Um, is there a selfish motive? You know, are you are you really praying these things because it's just for the betterment of yourself, not necessarily the glory of God? Is there an unforgiveness issue? Or maybe, maybe there's just an unexplained purpose. Maybe you and I, just like Paul, are supposed to accept some things because it gives us greater dependency. You know, whatever that may be, I just hope and pray that you will be praying and that you and I will both experience 2022, a life built on and predicated upon the prayers that we pray and not just the willpower that we exert. I want to just speak a blessing over you. Lord Jesus, I pray for these friends, wherever they may be. I pray, God, that you would hear their prayers. I pray, God, whatever the blocks would be, they would be eradicated so they could experience you fully and highest and best. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, and if we can minister to you, don't hesitate to reach out by sending us an email to info at fbw.church. God bless you.